Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Out of Your Head podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nelson, and today's special guest is singer-songwriter Jan Elaine. Jan Elaine is the coolest. She has had a very interesting and vibrant music career all over Europe, actually all over the world. Um, she has performed doing tours in Germany and the LGBTQ circles. Um, she's <laughs> toured all over with her van performing. She has some of the coolest stories. She talks about burying her poo out in the woods, uh, <laughs> getting airplane seats from a crashed airplane to use in her van. Oh, she, oh, she shares Cockney rhyme slang, which is very interesting as well. Uh, I know you're going to love this episode because Jan Elaine is one of the most lovely, creative, interesting people I know. Please enjoy. And if you could do us a favor and subscribe or like or rate on the old iTunes, that would be a tremendous help. Or if you want to check us out on YouTube, these episodes are on YouTube as well. And if you can subscribe, comment, do all those shenanigans over there, that would mean a lot. Just a little clickaroo or two. Um, would be a big help to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy episode number 12 with Jan Elaine. Come on, dance, appetite, dance to the middle of the night. Come on, dance, work up the appetite, dance to the middle of the night. Come on, dance, work up the appetite, dance to the middle of the night. Come on, dance, work up the appetite, dance to the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, appetite. So I have to tell you, Matthew, first of all, my husband says hello. And uh, is upset that he's not on this podcast as well. <laughs> well, lots of love to Matt. How's he getting on with the cello? Oh, he's getting on. He's getting on. I have to tell you, our um, our game plan here in 2021 is we've been remodeling this van, and yeah. we're hitting the road. Join the van gang. Yes, yes. I want to talk to you because you have... Uh, Big time van experience and traveling experience in Europe. Well, I'm jammed with a van, and I I can't tell you how much fun it's brought me in these dire COVID times. Oh, I love my van. You um you had a, like a, a touring bus at one point too, didn't you? Um, I've had several touring buses in my life, but this van I bought in 2015 to to prepare for more touring in Germany, but I got interrupted. Um, yeah, with buying a house in Brighton, and my mum passed away. So mm-hmm. the the van ended up being really handy for renovating and refurbishing this house. And I've still got it now. The house is sorted. So I turned it into an escape bus <laughs> <laughs> when COVID started. And it's not inside. There's no kitchen. There's no bed or anything. It's just a steel a steel van. It's a feed. Uh, a VW, a VW Caddy Maxi. And um, I suddenly thought, well, I'm not actually breaking any rules if I travel in it and sleep inside it. Yeah. So uh, I have an old, I had an old sofa bed here that had been in the family for about 100 years. And I took the mattress off it and gave it a shake. <laughs> 100 year old body skin dust in there. <laughs> I suddenly realized as I told you that that is gross. <laughs> that is pretty gross. <laughs> There's certain things that I feel like when they're, when they're around longer, they're more gross. And I think a mattress is one of them. 
Well, actually, one of those flyers for, for buy a bed from our company in the Christmas sale came through the door today, and there's a big photo of a mite. You know, these creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, have you had your mattress for seven to eight years? It's <laughs> I know. Have I'm you thinking, had your mattress for 100 years? No, I was thinking seven to eight. That's nothing. <laughs> It will be full of horrible little bugs. And, um, yeah, well, anyway, that went in the back of my van. <laughs> and then I realized to be really independent and not in, in trouble, I need to be fully independent. And I thought, I'll buy a port Yes. I'll buy a port You know, I don't want to get caught out anywhere. I don't want to uh, be needy with people I go and see. I'll be totally self-sufficient. I'll live in my van and we can have lunches and dinners in their garden and I'll bring the wine and um I bought an online chemical toilet from amazon.co.uk and I was thrilled with it it was like a totally amazing square white plastic box is there a little cassette that goes in and out of it um it's like when you like mm -hmm. remove a cassette that has the chemicals in your poo and pee in it Ooh, too much information. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you how do you how do you empty this thing? Well, um, yeah, it has a self-contained okay. and fully closed unit you take out to, to dispose of it. But my problem with the chemical toilet was the small print. In the small print, it said, "Do not place this toilet in an environment that may get hot." <laughs> well, in June and July, in June and July in England, it was hotting up, baby. And I was thinking, it's going to roast your poop. <laughs> well, I thought, I don't want this exploding while I'm in my van, you know, having a nice holiday somewhere. And then a friend said to me, send it back. I said, I haven't used it. So, yeah, I will send back the toilet. She said, you should make your own compost toilet. Oh, OK. I said, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> and she said, go and buy some compressed wooden cat litter mm -hmm. go to the pet store compressed wooden cat litter and a nappy bucket with a lid and biodegradable compost bags and a shovel and I thought okay I'm gonna go for this and she said nothing will smell and whenever you're near some woodland you out you trip and skip into the woodland with your bucket and I thought <laughs> it sounds right. so magical <laughs> yeah I went down the pet shop and there's a nice pedestrian row of shops in Hove, Brighton and Hove. And I went into the pet store and I thought, I don't want to reveal that this is actually not, <laughs> not for a pet of mine. Ah, I did the exact same thing. I got a composting toilet. Yeah, but listen, listen I to told me. someone it was for a hamster. <laughs> well, I went in and I said very clearly to the guy, he was really quite sweet. He actually had one of those... Uh, brown ovals on that shopkeepers have and I said um do you have any compressed wooden cat litter he said yeah yeah just a minute love and he came back with a little bag like this and I thought "Ooh, won't last <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, I said have you got a really large bag he said how large I said like your biggest bag of compressed wooden cat litter I'll have a look he said and he went out the back and he came back with a sack he said, this will last you for ages. This is massive. <laughs> Are you sure? I said, yep, yep, that's fine. So I dragged it up to the counter, and he looked at me. He said, what's your cat called? Well. He's nosy. He's, he knows what you're up to. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I really didn't know what to say. He said, what's your cat called? I haven't got a cat. I said, uh, I thought I've, not, I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to be out to this guy because I'm never coming back here. And I said, actually, it's me. Actually, it's me. And he said, is that M-I or M-E? And Did he really? He forced me to lie about having a cat. I was really up for telling him, you know, it's, it, I'm using this cat. I said, it's for me. Uh, and he said, M-I or M-E? And I went, I just, I just lied. I said, M-I, me. Oh, that's interesting. He said, is that like, sounds sort of Japanese, like we. And I thought, oh, this is getting worse by the second. He said, why did you call it me? Um... I said, because when it was a kitten, it went, me. <laughs> pause. And he said, actually, my puppy is called Coco. And I went, yeah. And he said, and that's because when I picked the puppy up, it smelled of hot chocolate. And I was like, oh, God, get me out of here. I said, oh, that's nice. <laughs> anyway, this massive bag of, yes. of, of cat stuff was about, 10 pounds and I bought it and carried it, humped it home. We, uh, we, we just got, we just got a, um, composting toilet too. Um, and picked Did up, you make it? no, we spent $700 on it. For what? Your van. Isn't that insane? We should have gone your route. Inside your van. Inside our van. They make them like they're over a thousand dollars, but this was $700. I, I'm, I've lost. <laughs> <laughs> it looks, it looks like a toilet. It looks like a toilet, but it essentially hides a bucket and a gallon jug. The one diverts your pee into, and the other one you put your poo into. And we haven't used it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be scared to use it. I'm scared point. to use it. I'm scared. I'm scared to poop in some wood chips and just stir it around. Have you used well, yours? I did use it, but I got into a problem trying to go into someone's woodland. I was, <laughs> I was tramping through this wood with my bucket, and I had forgotten to take the spade. So en route, I stopped in uh, Bournemouth on a beach, and I bought myself on a, a beach pink, <laughs> a pink plastic spade about that long for the sand <laughs> for sandcastles. Yeah, so I'm in this woodland, and suddenly I hear, hello. And I thought, oh, God, what's going on? And this guy said, hello there. And I was holding my bucket, and he came over. Oh, and he said, poo. Yeah, he said, you're trespassing. What are you doing? And I lied again. I said, oh, I'm burying my cat. <laughs> Shut up. Don't ask me to show you because I'll start crying. You should have said, I'm burying me. <laughs> I said, I'm burying my cat. I'm really sorry. It's died while we've been on a journey. And he said, I don't want to see it anyway, but I'm sorry. You can't bury your cat on my land. I said, no problem. <laughs> Chad. I so basically, get... whenever uh, you need a lie in a situation, it's uh, a cat comes into play. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had to just get the bucket with what's it back in the van and go elsewhere. I know it has been amusing, though, but I... My shovel was no good. It was just... <laughs> just snaps. <laughs> anyway, it was, it's was. it been great going on tour. Yeah. Really good. 
Where getting you... away, getting away, yes. you know, just get it. Where are you going in your van? So we are, we're headed off and um, basically, you know, we put some time and energy and money into this to kind of let it potentially be our home if we want to get rid of our apartment. So we, we, put, wow. we put some money into it. Um, and then uh, we're going to head off to Nashville first. My brother lives there to see him. Mm. And then we're going to head down. We're going to head down. We're going to go to warmer climate. So New Orleans, probably Austin are first on the list. And Matt's uh, going to bring his electric cello and do oh, some busking. Oh, oh he and, will. Yeah, I'll yeah. do some podcasting on the way. Um, it'll be great. What are you going to do with your cozy flat? Well, we have a roommate who's staying here at the moment. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I, we're kind of going to play it by ear. Like if we do it for like a month or two and we're like, we like this, we might uh, get rid of the apartment and put everything in storage and spend a year or two on the road. We'll see. We'll see. It's a magical mystery tour. Yeah. One of the most exciting things I've done in my life is touring. When when I was playing music yes. and the last summer, this summer, the COVID summer, mm-hmm. I just love the freedom and the unexpected. When you were uh, when you were on your music tour, were you with a whole like crew or was it? Well, it was really DIY. Okay, I would I would buy vans in auctions. Sometimes, almost bought the wrong van. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> um, and kit them out. One of the funnest vans was a. 3,500 weight, long, long wheelbase, po- ex-post office van. And in it, I put aeroplane seats. And the aeroplane seats even had little food trays. Yes. And, they, and it had seat belts and little food trays. And, um, and where did you get uh, airplane seats at? Oh, there was a crash at Heathrow and there was a sale. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, they were all a bit oh, melted. No. They all got a bit melted in the fire no. and they were 50 pounds each. Did people die in those the... seats? Sorry? Did people die in those seats? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. But we welded them into the bottom of the van. We took all the seats out of the post office van. They just had benches in. And we welded six aeroplane seats from a Boeing 303 or whatever that had crashed, and they were on sale. And then, and then one of us would play air hostess while we were driving down German motorways and say, hello, welcome to, you know, whatever. We are, flying at, a, we are flying at an altitude of one meter, and lunch will be served. And I'm rubbing my cheek in the side of my <laughs> my chin. <laughs> oh god the vans were slow because they never had power steering in those days and old ladies would overtake it take us (laughs) amazing on the autobahn um jan what years uh were you touring in germany uh from about 88 to 98 okay yeah 10 years wow myself and uh, my music partner, Ilsa Desire, on the cello, mm-hmm. and um, various bands. Sometimes we had a, what we called the Big Boots Band, and then most of us, the maximum in our van would be six or, yeah, about six six women. Yeah. Once we took a drummer who had a baby and a nanny on board. <laughs> that was challenging. Um, sometimes four of us, and then in smaller vehicles, 
one or two, sometimes just one other person or three of us. If I perform with a duo, we'd have a driver on board. And all, in the back, all the instruments and stuffed everywhere, all the CDs and all our clothing. It was mental. But unlike, unlike a bigger, more professional outfit, we didn't get to sleep in the bus and sleep all night. Oh. Uh, we would be um, up in the morning on the road with earplugs in, tra- travelling up to four hours. Otherwise, I'd arrive deaf and then I couldn't play the gig. Then we'd do the sound check and then we'd do the gig and then we'd hang out at our hosts' houses drinking masses of bubbly till two or three in the morning. <laughs> and then we'd have to wake up at eight and we could get through the first five gigs fine and then we'd all be completely and utterly moshed. Yeah. And then we could hardly do anything, but we'd keep doing it. Huh. Hey, I was going to ask you, do you think, um, I mean, I assume that Europe in general has always been more progressive uh, with like LGBTQ rights um, as co- uh, compared to the U.S., but did, w- did you find that Germany was more progressive um, than where you grew up in England as far as, uh, I guess, in the 90s as being accepting and, yeah? Yes, because um, there were women's houses in those days in every area of Germany, and the German political system was more progressive than Britain, far more progressive, and they would donate money. The Socialist and uh, Green Party of Germany have been quite powerful and visible and active Mm. for many, many years. They were very supportive of uh, the LGBT communities and people. And most of the first gigs I did were in the women's houses and there were loads of women's bookshops everywhere. I mean, that sadly, most of them are closed down now. So when I tried to trace all the old roots fan base of uh-huh. my cult niche fan base, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the women's houses have closed down through lack of funding or, or the bookshops have gone but there was a really big network. So when I did the first gig with Ilsa in Freiburg, 12 women were there. We stayed on the road for about six months. We never realized you don't go on tour for six months. <laughs> Most is about six weeks. We just couldn't stop. We just kept going. And at the end, we did the same venue as the last gig and then traveled across France to get back to England. That gig was sold out because it was word-of-mouth advertising yeah. around very vast, well-connected LGBT and lesbian scene in Germany. Everyone was just phoning saying, oh, you have to get Jan and Ilsa. They're amazing. Or, you know, they just phone other women's houses and say, they're coming, they're coming, book them. And it was incredible. Wow. 12 women in the first gig, six months later, 250 women squashed into the same room. Unbelievable. Very cool. And, yeah, kept going back because Germany is the third biggest music – well, it was then the, the third largest music market. Although it's a domestic market, they don't export their music. They had a lot of American and British music there, and the hospitality was wonderful. Hmm. The most fun, generous hosts, and so much fun on the road. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find I, – I feel like every time you know I've been in Germany – there's like such a noticeable difference <laughs> from like the South to the North as far oh, okay. as like how like, um, 
oh, I guess we would call it just friendly <laughs> in the U.S., but just like how direct people are in the South. And uh, like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been yelled at in Southern Germany. Oh, yeah, I do remember around Stuttgart, things being a little bit strange sometimes. I think it's a religious thing. I think the country's... Oh, right, 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 because it's more Catholic down there. It's very Catholic in the yes. South. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's I been... asking... <laughs> Good. I was asking for that soup that has gigantic raviolis in. I can't remember the name of it. Mal... Mouse Taschen? Probably... Is that mouse bag? I think that <laughs> translates mouse bag. Mouse Taschen? <laughs> Oh my God, my German. The, I, I lived in Germany then for seven years, but my Germish. You're Germish? You said Germish. Germish. <laughs> my, ding, my Dinglish was very slow at improving. <laughs> I, uh, I have to have you on this call, so it's recorded for me. Um, <laughs> teach me some, oh gosh, was it? Cockney rhyme slang, because I remember you throwing that around all the time while you were here. Uh, it's oh, Cockney right. rhyme slang. Right. Is that what it's called, right? Want me to talk a little bit of Cockney then? Uh, yes, bitter. I'll go and I'm just going up the apples and pears. I'm just going up the apples and pears. So there's a uh, there's an adjacent rhyme equivalent to each word, and it has no, the no, meaning. no. It rhyme. It rhymes with the word. I mean, rhymes with the last word I've said. Oh my so God. you were saying, where's your bedroom? I'd say, you go up the apples and pears. I'm going up the stairs. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, give me another. Give me another. If you were, if you were walking <laughs> in a strange way, I'd say, what's wrong with your plates and meat? What's wrong with your feet? Yeah. Um, if I wanted to have a look at something you're not showing me, I'd say, give me a butcher's. Let's have a butcher's, mate. Give me a butcher's, mate. Go on, let's have a butcher's. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. Butcher's hook. A look. <laughs> See, that one's <laughs> like, there's like, it's twice removed. Yeah. The hook is uh, implied, which is the word you want to rhyme with. Yeah, sometimes uh, you don't get the second word and you've ooh, got to think. that's fun. Let's have a butcher's. What else? Um... Give me that back, you little tea leaf. <laughs> Give me that back, you little tea leaf. Tea leaf. Wait, it's it's going to be... Give me that back, you little tea leaf. It's going to be something... Uh, Boy, that's mine. Give it back, you little tea leaf. You thief? Yes. Okay, okay. Yep. I'll chase the little tea leaf right up the apples. I chase the little thief. Yeah, the, big, yeah, the biggest plates of meat you've ever seen. <laughs> I got in that bedroom. I said, oh, you, give us butchers. <laughs> it's so good <laughs> oh cockney rhyming slang my dad was a policeman in london and well he would meet all sorts of people especially cockneys <laughs> and he would come home and teach me it yeah that's amazing <laughs> but german i remember getting caught out in my first gig in germany and i said to the uh, the MC, please tell me how to say in German, hello, my name is Jan Elaine. I'm pleased to be here. I'm going to sing some of my own, own songs and a few covers. I hope you like my gig, you know. And she I, she wrote it in German 
and I wrote it out phonetically and I practiced it madly in the changing room. And then I came back out to a huge audience of women that I actually thought was a mixed audience. I'd, ne- I'd never been in a lesbian-only gig in my life. And this was at the Lesbian, Lesbian Frühlingstreffen, the first oh, yeah. lesbian spring, spring meeting. meeting. Okay, yeah. The first of many I've performed there. Great big lesbian conferences that happen every year in Germany. And the room was absolutely packed, maybe 500 women in there, packed for me, you know, and that was a lot. And um, I came out and said, Guten Abend, Frauen und Frauen. And that was all fine. Hello, women, ladies. Women. ladies. Um, um, uh, uh, das Spiegelei ist auf dem Boden und there is ein Eagle in mein Schlafsack. The egg, the fried egg is on the floor and there's a... An eagle in your um, bag? A hedgehog in my sleeping bag. Oh, a hedgehog in your sleeping bag. (laughs) And they hit the deck. (laughs) And I looked in the wings of the stage and I was like, what? Is my pronunciation really bad? (laughs) Johanna was screaming her head off laughing. And I said it again. Oh, that is so good. You know, the fried egg is on the floor and there's a hedgehog in my sleeping bag. Now let's party. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's party but it was the best promo ever because for years and i swear for years later like 30 years later i had women coming to me and saying oh we were at the friday hedgehog gig it was so funny <laughs> that's so good jan i feel like uh a number of guests like i've had on the show we, we talk about like when those venues are like just the right size where they're like you know not too big or too small, but but they're still full. And like, how magical that feels when there's a level of intimacy in a smaller, crammed space. It's beautiful. Because everyone's still a person in that space. You still see everybody, yeah. you know, um, and everybody like, like feels like they're like, um, I guess they feel like they're a part of it where it's like, you know, if you sit in a, in a huge like amphitheater auditorium, you could be way in the back and not feel like you're part of it. But there's something magical about those small venues and performing improv in them. And I'm, I'm sure it's got to be the same with music too. Well, I find I can really truly relax. I can really ask for the lights to go down at one point and look into people's eyes. I can really relax, which is lovely. It feels like what I would call kitchen gig, kitchen tour. Yeah. It's great fun. Huh. And it, it, yes, it, it's a real privilege for me to ever perform in front of a, a good listening audience. But when the right size room is full, it's, it's, it's fabulous. It is. Yeah. Um, Matt, uh, I don't know if this is for the first time. It was the first time for me. He uh, sang a song and played a song um, on the ukulele last night that he wrote. Uh, and he wrote it for me. Wow. And I started bawling. It was, um, it was, uh, hopefully it's okay for me to say, uh, it was, uh, about the first time. So the first time we went to Germany together after maybe dating for three to four months. So early on, we were, um, in Bamber, Germany, which is Bambiberg, as you know, (laughs) very beautiful city. (laughs) And, um, we uh, went and stood under a uh, clock tower after having some beers, like at night. And like I turned, looked at him, and I was like, "Hey, like, can we um, stop uh, 
like the language of like maybe um like hey let's do this in a month if we're still together like that like that maybe sort of talk like i have like i'm not going anywhere i really really like you and um oh. i just want to assume we're going to be together and like we both bald bald under that clock tower <laughs> like picturesque like german night fog rolling through under like a street lamp uh, anyways he wrote me the song last night and then i cried like crazy and uh it's very cool okay. like i'm very excited to hear that he's you know writing uh some music because i feel like i don't know i don't feel like that's something he hasn't explored much and he's so so gifted musically well, it's a fantastic way to say something. Yeah. To sing it. And, uh, yeah, if a song can aff affect somebody else, that's it. Job done. And, and, you know, the way, like, you capture the mood, like, the, 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 the sound of the music felt like that night. And then, you know, you have the power of the music itself. And then, as I mean, I'm telling you stuff you all know, but you know, the words, the poetry of the words on top of it. It's just such a powerful, yeah, a powerful way to like touch people. I think, well, we know music is the universal language, but it's extremely exciting to, to identify with a song strongly mm -hmm. or um, just realize that you love something. And that's why people get so excited about music. It just reverberates through our bones. It's so lovely. And if you're writing a song um, or making a song, you don't have to write it. Uh, sometimes they sort of feel like they come through you uh, hmm. or sometimes you have to work hard and craft at them. But the my godson, Henry, um, he's 18 now, and he's just been sending me the first songs that he's started writing in his life. And they're really good. And I remember about three years ago him saying, I want to write songs, but I have no idea where to start, Jan. He's quite a talented uh, drummer and keyboard player and guitarist. And uh, he said, well, what do I write about? I haven't got, a, you know, you can write about anything. I haven't got a clue. And I said, mine the depths of your own experience, I suppose, to start with. Um, there was a big gap. And then one day he just sent me a song and, so lovely and they're absolutely about him and his experience yeah. at the moment and they're spot on they're fantastic and they just have to have a little bit more tweaking but they've really inspired me to get back to my songwriting um yeah that's such good so. advice for any artist like um, you know, when I first moved to Chicago and I was studying improv, there was a lot of people who were like, oh man, you should be up on your pop culture, blah, blah, blah. Um, but like mining your own experience is always going to be the better alternative than trying to guess what the audience wants to hear, do your research and then make it about that topic. Like if it's not true to who you are, like that's the most special thing you, one of the most special things you bring to the table, then like. It it's kind of feels void. It feels empty, you know? Ah, oh, well, there are loads of different ways of approaching songs. Um, you know, David Bow used to chop up books and he, he would cut up newspapers and, like, Dardaists, sprinkle words all over the carpet and patch them together. And that's where 
life on Mars was kind of put together. Oh, or, or you can be very introspective and be using that cathartic process of expressing your anger or your love or your passion or your disappointment in a song until you've, what have you done? You've transformed difficult feelings into something. And even if you're, um, if you, if you're coming up with a very sad song, there's a really powerful, big beauty in sadness. A lot of the most beautiful songs are fundamentally uh, sad. Mm. And that's great. As a, yeah. As a songwriter yourself, um, especially playing to a, a like specific group often, mm -hmm. um, what were you kind of leaning into as far as like whether like <clears throat> what it was you wanted to sing about or like um, like how you wrote your songs? Were you, were you writing specifically for like that group or were you kind of like writing and then you found that this group appreciated it more? I never started writing songs for an audience I, because I didn't have an audience. I started writing as a teenager. And when I was performing in London, there definitely wasn't a women-only audience. I just ended up in my 30s quite late getting gigs in Germany where the audiences were all women. But by then, my repertoire wasn't specifically about lesbian exp experience or... Um, community or outlook on life or anything no way mm. i just considered myself to be a feminist female writer it wasn't until i became a, a role model i suppose um that i i tried to write one or two specifically for the for the lesbian scene and those songs did especially become little sort of mini anthems like um, Telephone Princess, in brackets, Glad to be Lesbian, which was inspired by Tom Robinson's Glad to be Gay and one or two other songs. But most of my songs are universal in that they're dealing with my, my human feelings, which everybody feels, loss, my my sense of belonging to places, my attachment to people, uh, things that I find funny. I still don't know how I would identify as a songwriter, hmm. whether I would call myself, I'm a singer-songwriter who happens to be gay or whether I'm a, I'm a lesbian songwriter. Oh, I see. But I... I I don't know. I've never had to pigeonhole myself totally. Yeah, exactly. There's no need to. No, but obviously some songs are especially for lesbian audiences and they love them because they take the fun out of uh, lesbian ex experience and existence and they also give us strength from them. Yeah. And others are ballads that anybody would hear and hopefully... Um, gain something from if they like that style of music I can't write anything except my music and there's so much music out there it's never going to be everyone's cup of tea but I keep writing and keep playing them 
What's uh well obviously this year's been the exception, but um what's been going on creatively for you in Brighton, maybe before COVID or <laughs> or during? I've seen some tea towel dances online. Oh, <laughs> tea see, towel was, exercise dances. <laughs> I was trying to get some exercise in the kitchen. I gave up. Um, I gave up fast. I've been doing some painting. This was my first one. Beautiful. That's you in a nutshell right there. <laughs> Very cute. Um, oh, and for people who are just listening, I'm sorry, that was a, a Mickey Mouse. I forgot to describe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, what do we have here? <laughs> yes. This is a little um, <laughs> fat, fat guy in a leather bondage outfit <laughs> and uh what kind of bird is that his, his underpants are real gold leaf paint yes and that bird has a feather whip unbelievable <laughs> jan it's a, du- it's a duster yeah <laughs> yeah and replace him a, a whip is supposed to be it's a duster <laughs> so good um uh, this is one of our government's uh speeches this is a um <laughs> for those who are just listening this is a job of the hut uh <laughs> poo bear job of the hut correct <laughs> eating uh, a bunch of honey and being fanned by uh <laughs> some small little mink type animal <laughs> what does it say in the bottom it says home protect stay home oh. protect the national health service <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Jan, so fun. Yeah. Um, this is just how I wanted to feel in the middle of COVID. You know, like. This is a groovy, groovy Buddha cat? A big yellow Buddha cat with a Some little. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is my COVID picture. I have to go along the sideways with you. Oh my gosh. These are wild. These are so beautiful. Um, <laughs> so good, Jan. Jan, um, I... I've the, been doing paint, paintings. Go I, ahead. I would say the last couple years, well, maybe the last five years or so, uh, four or five years, I've discovered how much satisfaction I get from like making things. It started when I like I always wanted to do pottery and then I started doing some pottery classes and like just the satisfaction of making something with your own hands and then letting it come to fruition and then I think also for me specifically things that have a utilitarian side to it like cups yeah. and pots that you would actually use and then I am like building this van like I've never done that sort of work before but like making drawers and cabinets and things pop up on little hinges and cutting butcher's blocks and uh, like putting in like cedar roof, like maybe not always while I'm doing it, but man, when I'm done doing it, the satisfaction of making something that's um, a little less temporal than say like an improv scene is well just been so amazing. I love making things with my hands. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And um, I think there's a sort of lack of 
hands-on training for young people these these days to get back to the absolutely basics of woodwork you know yes getting some hammers and nails and those lovely old tools and making something out of wood but um you're quite right i'm into upcycling and recycling at the moment so i'm mending furniture i'm finding things on the road bringing them home sanding them down painting them making them good again and the inside of a van is like oh it's the, the most incredible homemade conversions of vans are on YouTube. I've been looking at most insanely beautiful interiors of vans and things where you maximize all the space but have lovely finishes on things and little holes here and th- this goes under there and that pops out and that pulls down. So exciting. It feels it feels more approachable, right, than like you get some aspects of what it would be like to build your own home in a smaller space that's scaled yeah. down, framed in, and you don't yeah. have to be up to code. Yeah. No, it's fantastic, and it's incredible how you adapt to being in such a small space. My, my van was just two seats in the front and a big space in the back, but without trying the back turned into my sleeping area my toiletry area my sort of changing my clothes and getting into something else to wear area and just like people that live in tents you end up putting everything somewhere mm-hmm. if, if you can and it feels so easy you can reach everything with your hands and and put it in more order than it is in and it's it's brilliant we're so we're so excited to have more access to uh, like nature, you know. Chicago, you can step outside, and it's it's nice to be outside all the time. But um, when you can, the weather allows it. But just access to like some proper trails and forest, and driving to national parks, like we just we just can't wait. When are you leaving? Uh, well, either uh, Thursday or uh, January first, Friday. Goodness me! Yeah, it's going to be freezing. Oh no, you're going to. We're the going warmer. south, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's somewhere warmer. Yeah, out of necessity. I don't. We didn't build a heater into the vehicle, so. Yeah, out well, of necessity. You're you're a bit ahead of me with the inside of your van. My plan is to send the van. Well, I've got to drive the van up to the north of London, where there's a company that will line it for me. They'll put all the plywood inside yeah. it. Okay. Will they insulate and as well? Uh, it's about 150 pounds to have the whole of the van lined. Normally they line them for workers, for, for, you know, workmen on the road that keep the tools in the back, but I'll just have it lined with one or two cupboards put in. And then I'm going to put my own deck in higher, like a whole raised floor in it, and then get these large utility plastic boxes with lids. So everything will go under the bed, but it's just like having a raised plain floor in the back i need it to stay basic so that i can use it to collect rubbish (laughs) (laughs) and pick up mad things off the road and chuck bicycles in the back when i want and at some point hit the road and have a comeback in germany so (laughs) i can't turn it into a home yeah the freedom is beautiful and uh yeah a bit jealous in a happy way that you're going down south to warmer weather I am in the south, and it's frigging cold here, so yeah. I can't go any souther. <laughs> I can't imagine the. Um, I guess we all in the U.S. romanticize Europe a little too much, but I can't imagine the ability to like be able to so easily drive to other countries. 
like uh, with just such like different culture and personality and well that's what's so thrilling about europe yeah there are so many completely different cultures all ne- yes. next to each other and when i used to drive i lived in Mainz for five years and um when i would go from london to Mainz, i would go through france belgium uh, uh well i can't remember the other countries luxembourg and then into germany all in one day it was lovely uh, it's insane jan you're wonderful you're such an inspiration you're such a beautiful spirit and uh thank you thank so much you. for taking the time i really hope that we get to see you again soon <laughs> i know well zoom me again yeah hey uh we'll say goodbye uh and thanks so much for everybody for listening um but matt just walked into the house and i'm sure he wants to say hi to you <laughs> hello matt. matt you come over this appetite, this Come on.